Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on I Work For Him, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's IWorkForHim.com, IWork, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Hey, have you joined the I Work For Him Nation? Have you taken the time to go out to iWorkForHim.com and look to what we're, what we're asking? We're asking Christ followers around the world, across the nation and around the world, to look at their workplace like their mission field. To look for opportunities to start, not not to look for opportunities, let's just start this, to start praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. To look for ways to serve the people they work with, to look for ways to befriend the people that they work with. Why? Because people that we work with who don't know Jesus need to know that we as Christ followers aren't stuck on ourselves. <laughs> I got to step off the soapbox before I get there. We're looking for members of the I Work For Him Nation to look for ways to pray with people. To actually take that opportunity, pay attention to how your coworkers and employees are each and every day. And when you notice that they're not good, that just stop and say, hey, can I pray with you about that? But all along, members of the I Work For Am Nation, these are people that operate with excellence in their workplace. People that understand that they represent Jesus in their workplace and that in that workplace, which is their mission field, they may be the only Jesus their co-workers and employees may ever meet. Go out to iWorkForHim.com, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and join today and start making an impact in your workplace tomorrow. And that impact in your workplace, guess where it starts? In your heart. Romans 12, 2 talks about the paradigm shift that has to happen in our minds in order to recognize that you are a workplace minister, a missionary in your workplace. It says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Why? Because they say you can't bring Jesus to work with you. Try to pull that trick off. I had way too much Mountain Dew today, didn't I, Ace? But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's the amazing work that Jesus Christ did in my life. I understood finally as a mid and almost the time I was 40 that my workplace was my mission field and that as a Christ follower, I could be a minister in my workplace. And it transformed my life. It's amazing. I just I invite you to join me on the I Work For Him Nation. Go out to iwork, the number four him.com and click on the I Work For Him Nation flag. Stepping back down off that soapbox, I'd like to welcome... A brand new guest to the show from an organization we've had many guests on. We'd like to invite, we, we've got Elizabeth Moyer on the air with us today. She's from the Institute of the Faith, of Faith, Work, and Economics. We've had many people from there, Ann Bradley and Hugh Welshel. They have shared much of the vision of the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics. And as they grow, 
Elizabeth Moyer joined as their publications manager, and she wrote an article that I loved, Six Biblical Methods for Handling Stress. And I said, hey, we should talk about it on the air today. So Elizabeth Moyer, welcome to I Work For Him. Thanks, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start off with the question I ask every guest. It doesn't matter who they are. They can be the President of the United States, but he hasn't been on yet. I ask this question. How is Jesus making a difference in your life today? Gosh, that's a great question. I should ask myself every day. Um, These days, in general, I think life is really good. Um, My husband and I just celebrated our first anniversary last week, actually. Congratulations! Thank you, thank you. Um, It's prompted a lot of reflection for us on our first year, and um, I think one theme has just been grace. God has been um, so abundantly gracious to us and teaching us who He is through each other and how to love one another better, and um, particularly with one of my, maybe my biggest idols of control and just wanting complete control over my life, really using my husband to show me how to let go of that idol. So that's a daily process and a daily journey, but um, that's kind of what's going on these days. You're a certified control freak is what you're saying. Uh, you can put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> you can get counseling for that. But here's the good news. Jesus came to restore all things. And for those of us that can relate to the control freak feature, because I've got a heavy button on the control freak feature, it is it is an amazing exercise to actually let that button go. But it is really freaky. I mean, it's like jumping Absolutely. off a bridge. It's like jumping off a bridge. But yeah, but wait till you've practiced it for 50 years. You haven't even practiced it for half that amount of time yet. <laughs> when you practice the control feature, the, the control freak feature for 50 years, and you're just like, okay, Lord, okay, I know you got it. That doesn't make sense to me, but I know you got it. All right, so you mm-hmm. wrote this article, Six Biblical Methods for Handling Stress. Why did you write that article? Sure. So the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics has a daily blog and um, we talk about a lot of different things, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to contribute from time to time. So when I sit down to write an article, it's, it usually comes out of what's on my heart, what I'm dealing with personally, or what I'm interested in. And so when I sat down to write this one, <laughs> I was really stressed. I had a lot going on at work. It was busy. I was moving unexpectedly. We were traveling almost every weekend or having guests in town. And so I was trying to keep all these plates spinning and it was really affecting my spiritual life. And it, I found myself prompting questions like, is my desire for control causing me more stress? Am I trusting God with all of these plates that I'm trying to keep spinning? And when I started um, answering those for myself, I thought, gosh, if, if I'm thinking about this and this is a big theme in my life right now, I bet a lot of other people are dealing with it, too. You know, let's just jump into what drove you. You you said you wrote the article because you're having one of those stressful days. What are some of the external causes of stress, Elizabeth? Yeah, that's a great question, because stress is a really big monster, and it can look different for everyone, and we all respond to it differently. Um, I kind of emotionally shut down, but my husband responds physically, um, and he can't sleep. So um, a lot of times we are bombarded with external um, things that come at us that are outside of our control. And when they're outside of control, sometimes that's more stressful. But some examples would be money and work. Those are at the top of the list almost always. Um, Our physical environment, a trauma of some sort, an injury, relationships is a huge one, discrimination of any kind, schoolwork, 
moving to a new um, city or home or state or country. Those are just a few, but those are things that sometimes are outside of our control. So who's better at handling stress in your household? Is it your husband or is it you? Oh, he's definitely better. <laughs> uh, he almost doesn't doesn't have to do anything to handle his stress. It rolls right off his back. Wow. Okay. So you said in the first segment, I love this. I had to write it down because this is a good line. I think we're going to probably put this on Facebook tonight. It, it, having people ask this question, is my desire for control causing me more stress? And I got the mm-hmm. answer for that. As an almost 50-year-old, I'm, I'll be 50 next month. The answer to that question is uncategorically you bet you, stupid. It is. <laughs> because because that is it. Our desire for control gets us out of the plan, out of God's hand, trying to do it ourselves, and that never works really, really well. So are you a glass half full or a glass half empty kind of person? I like to think I'm a glass half full kind of person. Um, I am always trying to look at my perspective. One thing my dad has always kind of hammered into my brain is, it's all about perspective. You can change your situation just by looking at it differently. And I think when we have a really biblical um, foundation and perspective, that rings true even more. So let's talk about these biblical methods for handling stress. There's six of them that you highlight in your article. And again, I want to direct people. We'll have the link to the article on our Facebook page tonight. But all of the articles and the blogs are available on the website for the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics. And that's T, as in Tom, I-F-W-E, F as in Frank, W-E dot O-R-G, Tiffwe dot O-R-G. And you can go into, the, and if you type in tiffwe.org slash six biblical methods for handling stress, this article will come right up. All right, so what are these six biblical methods? Yeah, so they are worship, pray, ask for help, seek community, read scripture, and examine your load. Okay, so and, make this personal. I want you to make this personal, because mm-hmm. you're talking about, here's how you have learned to handle stress, and, and some people will handle it more inappropriately than you are doing it, but how sure. do you personally put worship into practice for how you handle stress? Yeah, this is, these are great, um, these are great methods that I think help me um, while I'm managing stress, and sometimes I need to do a lot more than just these six things, but to start off, worship sounds kind of like an oxymoron. Um, a lot of times when I'm overwhelmed, the last thing I want to do is, is praise God for everything that's coming at me. But I also find myself in church on a Sunday morning feeling closer to God than normal because I'm the most vulnerable at that point. I'm overwhelmed. I'm realizing I can't handle it on my own. And when I'm praising God, my face is turning towards Him and I'm focusing 100% on Him. And that just changes kind of like we were talking about before. It changes your perspective. And, you know, God is worthy of our praise all the time, no matter what, even if it doesn't feel like it. You can see that all through the Psalms when David is praising God no matter what's going on in his life. Yeah, but that's not easy to do. I mean, to, to praise, oh, no. to thank, really, when, when you say, when I read that, I'm thinking, okay, I'm supposed to thank the Lord when I am really miserable and mm-hmm. stressed. That's that's an area, my wife and I have been reading in, in our Jesus Calling evening devotional, hey, he's supposed to thank me for adversity, because trust is wrapped up, adversity is, trust is wrapped up in adversity. I'm like, Lord, I'm having a hard time thanking you when my life isn't what I think it should be. So how do you how do you reconcile through that when when you don't feel like do you have people in your life that just smack you upside the head and go but Elizabeth we're supposed to be thankful in all things who helps you through that 
Yeah, you know, a lot of times recently it's been my husband because he is the um, energizer bunny and he's the forever optimist. And um, sometimes you need you need that reminder that outside of yourself or your go-to person that says, hey, remember what's important here. And, you know, a lot of times I need to actually read scripture that's praising God for me and and pray through those psalms that are praising God because sometimes my heart doesn't really want to do it, but I know that um, God's worthy of it no matter what. And ultimately, He's going to use all things for the good of those who love Him if we are walking in obedience with Him. And so that's that's a daily reminder to myself that I have to preach. All right, so the first biblical method for handling stress was worship, thanking the Lord, praising the Lord, no matter where you are. But the second one you said was pray. Why, why mm-hmm. is prayer so important to this? I mean, it's worship and prayer seems like they're pretty related, but why is a prayerful, prayerful heart so important? Yeah, prayer and worship really go hand in hand. A lot of times we are praising God through prayer and through song. Um, and the thing we have to remember is that God asks us to bring our praise to Him, but also all of our sufferings. And the, the amazing thing that I always seem to forget is that our God is so big that He cares about the big stuff in our life and the little things in our life. So when, when I'm that. overwhelmed, that's right, and when I'm stressed, I try to get into the routine of just shooting up prayers all day long, no matter what it is. And that keeps me connected to the Lord, keeps my perspective focused on Him. And, you know, I, I can, again, turn to the Psalms when David is angry, and it's okay to be angry. And when he's overwhelmed, and he's still praying through that. And God is faithful, because in First um, John 5, it says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God promised that he hears us if we're if we turn our face to him and, you know, we're, we're pursuing a life that's obedient to him. So, yeah, I mean, that's what David does. He often starts off with, Lord, do you realize there's people trying to kill me? And it gets mm-hmm. all the way down to, but Lord, I trust you. I love you. Thank you. I mean, it always ends with a praise and glorifying the Lord, but he does, he is very transparent with the Lord, very yeah. vulnerable. And, and that's really, that's an encouragement for us to do the same thing. All right. Number three, ask for help. Yeah, you just told me you're a total control freak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how do you do asking for help? How does that help you st- with handling stress? This is a huge one, um, especially for me personally. A lot of times my stress is a red flag that I'm trying to do it all by myself and I can't. I'm failing. And that's humbling. That's really humbling. So um, my husband literally has to r- remind me verbally, let me help you. And I have to stop what I'm doing and say, okay, I can give this to you. I don't have to do it all by myself. And that's really freeing. It kind of takes a weight off of my shoulders, but um, it takes humility to do that. And Proverbs tells us all about humility and wisdom and how they go hand in hand. So I'm also one of those people that likes to bury my stress or hide it from people. I don't want people to know that I'm freaking out on the inside (laughs) and asking, (laughs) oh no, asking for help brings it to the light, and it can help us find a solution faster. It can help clarify the situation, bring perspective. But when I'm bearing it, nothing's getting done, and it's not going to get any better. So besides your husband, who else do you have around you that knows you well enough to be able to see the Elizabeth Moore stress look, even though you've got a pretend mm-hmm. big smile behind it? That's right. Um, uh, that's really important, having a couple of people around you who can call you, you know, when you're 
faking it. Um, no, but that, that was a question for you personally, though. Who are those people? Oh, don't, sure. don't say their names, but do you have yourself surrounded with people, other ladies, Christ-following ladies that say, mm-hmm. Elizabeth, you need to yeah. let go. I mean, who, who do you have people like that in your life? Yeah, we're part of a small group that meets on a regular basis, and those are the go-to people that when I'm freaking out, I have to shoot a text and say, hey, help me with this, or we get together and I'm on the brink of tears, and they're like, okay, hold on a second, what's going on? This isn't like you, you know, some, something's going on, let's talk about it. That's right. really important. Elizabeth, you've got the other three. Seek community. Mm-hmm. What's that one look like? Seek community. Yeah, so this is really cool because it's exactly what the church is for, and it really goes hand-in-hand hand with asking for help. But um, a lot of times when I get stressed, I want to crawl into a hole, I want to hide away, I want to run from anyone who can spot all of the craziness that's going on in my life. And this is where that small group um, of believers, of, of fellow Christians comes in, whether it's in a Bible study or like my one of my favorite authors, Shauna Nyquist, um, she calls it your home team. Who are your people that you go to when things get rough? And um, sometimes this means literally physical help, and sometimes it just means, hey, pray for me, or cry with me, or just listen to me, um, or laugh and rejoice with me when all that stress goes away. Um, The church is designed for this. First Corinthians reminds us that if one suffers, we all suffer. And so um, seeking community is part of living out um, the body of Christ, which is really neat. So talk to me about how Scripture plays a part in all of this, because that's your fifth point, read Scripture. How does that play into Mm -hmm. all this? Yeah, this one seems obvious, but really it's the first one that I stop doing a lot of times because it takes time, takes me to sit down and shut out all the noise. Um, And some stress in the conversation of stress can be good. It motivates us to action maybe, but... Scripture is really clear that anxiety and worry are not from the Lord. And so I think reading Scripture, especially when we're maybe questioning God about why everything is happening to us, it reminds us of who God is. It reminds us of His strength and His power and His sovereignty in our life. And it's literally the living Word. It is mm-hmm. a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It is, it is a part of our bread, our daily bread. And so I find sometimes just reading, it can seem random, but the Word is living and it'll speak right to you no matter um, what's going on. The Holy Spirit can really work through that. That is so true. How often is it we turn open up our Bibles and, and we're like, we just start reading and you're like, oh, how? How is that possible? Mm-hmm. How is that possible? All right, your final point, examine your load. So does that mean if your backpack's too full or what? Uh, basically, yeah. So there are a lot of things we can't control, whether that's emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. And um, part of this is remembering that God is 100% sovereign over our lives, and we're also 100% responsible for our actions. So um, setting some boundaries, asking yourself, am I doing too much? Have I said yes to too much? Um, where can I say no? Where can I make space to deal with stress? For me, a lot of times this means prioritizing my physical health, my sleep, my diet, my exercise, and saying no to some commitments to give me the space to deal with it. Um, And examining our load, if you look at Galatians, um, Paul talks about bearing one another's burdens, which is so true, that's part of community, but also you're responsible for your own load. And sometimes 
this is a really hard one for me. I just take on way too much, and that's part of what's causing my stress. Well, and Cutting learn, some of that out helps. Learning to say no is one of those things you, you get as you get a little older, but who do you have in your life that helps you say no? Yeah, actually, I, I think my family is a big one. My mom is always one to say, okay, it sounds like you're doing too much. <laughs> She's always one to kind of check me and hold me accountable to how much I have on my plate. Um because she loves me and she worries about me when I'm stressed. Well, and your husband needs to learn how to identify that. And that's one of those things that happens over time. But that, sure. that is one of those things as you, one of the things my wife and I use is like, before I commit to something, I ask her before I mm-hmm. commit to something to make sure that she can help me filter out and learn to say no. All right. So of these six points, ways that you handle stress, worship, pray, ask for help, other people for help, seek community within your church, your small group, read scriptures and examine your load, take time and do some examining. Which of these methods is your first go-to? What do you go to first? I hate to say that it depends, but it depends. Um, First and foremost, I think the first thing that, that is affected by my stress is my relationship to God. So whether it is prayer or worship or scripture, I need to get back into that um, before I can really be effective at managing my stress. But honestly, for me, I have to set boundaries. I struggle with that. I get too much on my plate. I have to say no. And I have to get people like my husband or my family or my friends to help keep me accountable in that. Um, I like that type group of control. And God always says, wait, hold on, remember who I am, trust me, I got this. And stopping and slowing down really helps me um, remember that. I love that. Stress really affects my relationship with God. That is so awesome. Elizabeth Moyer with the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks so much for sharing this article out there. We'll have that stuff all out on Facebook for you tonight. Thanks so much for being on I Work For Him today. Elizabeth, you did a great job. Thanks, Jim. All right, the second half of our show today with another Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics member, Dr. Art Lindsley. He's written an article, actually he's written a curriculum, Understanding God's Calling, which is actually a high school homeschool course. And when I found out, I'm like, this is absolutely something we got to talk about in the air. Art Lindsley with the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics. Welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be with you, Jim. You know, I, I got a chance to just preview through the, I didn't get all 300 pages of it. I got to look at the, uh, I got to do the overview version. And I thought, it's fantastic, because I just interviewed a young lady who won your contest on calling. She actually did a, a, a whiteboard sketch uh, uh, on calling and won the contest in a scholarship. Oh, yes. Oh, those were great. And we got I, a and I bunch had, of videos. I, I was no, submitted, and that winning one was great. It was fantastic. So I brought her on. She was 17 years old, and for her name's mixing me right now. I'll figure it out before we get back from the break. But I, I loved it, and you guys chose her, and I brought her on. She was such a sweetheart. I thought it was fantastic. So I really was interested in how you're teaching high schoolers about calling. But before we ask you those questions, I really want to know. You're an ordained minister, a doctor of philosophy and religious studies. Everyone just assumes you have this following Jesus thing all figured out. How is Jesus impacting your walk today, and what's your biggest struggle? Well, I would say that that I'm I'm really feeling right now in my sweet spot and really in the flow of what the Lord is doing. I haven't always been been that way, but I I do feel like He's been blessing me and opening doors, and and I really do feel His favor right now, and uh, so that's. 
It's been tremendous. I think the struggle that I have is that I've been so busy and traveling so much that I have less time than I used to have reading the Word and praying. Uh, when I, when my life was slower, I had sometimes three to four hours a day to study Scripture and read and pray and really focus on what I wanted to write and that sort of thing. And now uh, my life is a lot more demanding, and so I miss that sort of peace and quiet that I once had. Well, I would say also that I just struggle with being a good husband and father. I've got two boys that are 23 and 21. Uh, they're in a good place, but my wife and I are very both very busy schedules, a lot of ministry in our house, and the challenge is even getting time together where we both have energy to be able to sit down and really talk. So you know, it's, it's a great time in life. What made you guys tackle such an intense subject for high school kids? Well, I think it's a very, very uh, important period of life where you're making significant decisions. I know Particularly, I remember my boys that uh, are now in college age or just a little bit beyond. Uh, I'd say junior, senior year of high school, they really start taking seriously, if not earlier, hey, what I do in these years is going to determine what schools I can get into and what opportunities I'm going to have in the future. And it's an important time to be able to step back and look at the, the values that you have and the kind of direction you go to have a biblical perspective on calling. And also to know yourself in a more particular way. Uh, and I think what the Course does in the first bunch of lessons lays out biblical theological context for the idea of calling. Then the last few lessons really help you to focus down on what are your particular gifts that you can use uh, moving forward into the future. Not so I, I think also I had uh, both of my boys, at least for a couple years, were homeschooled, and we really appreciated uh, the homeschool process, and we have families on our street that were homeschooled. We're part of co-ops, and I respect uh, the families and the kids that have really chosen that way to do things. I wanted to provide a resource for them. Well, what's amazing to me is it's almost universal. When you see kids who grew up in a homeschool environment, whose parents really took that responsibility seriously, these kids are different. You know, there are people who make fun of them, but they're different. They're more mature. They have a better handle on their faith. They have a better handle on family. They have a better handle on economic priorities, spending money. They usually have, they just are more well-rounded when they graduate from high school. And it's amazing. But to deal with this subject of understanding God's calling, what I love about it, and this is almost like the secret sauce of the whole deal, because you take a semester to go through this course, or maybe it's a whole year. I don't know. Is this intended for a semester or a whole year? It's a semester. Okay. So for that's, that's yeah. what I thought. So if you take a semester, the work of the Holy Spirit that's plugged into this whole process is also really, really cool because as the student opens up his or her mind, they, they, the God has a chance to, to work in there and go, Hey, you ever thought about this? Hey, about this? What? Do, I mean, it, it's almost, it's amazing. I mean, this really should be understanding God's calling a high school home course, a homeschool elective course for everybody. Because... Well, actually, I think that's true. Uh, I think the topics that are addressed there could easily be done by, say, Christian high school or by college students or by churches or really by anybody. Yeah, this is... And you could adapt it to your own purposes if you desire. Yeah, it would be an excellent small group. Is applicable to everybody. Yeah, excellent small group material. All right, so step back. Let's just make it personal for you, Art. 
How old were you before you really understood your identity and destiny, your call, the calling that God placed on your life? How old were you? Who helped you get there? Well, I would say probably what I've seen with many people around me, and I think with me, uh, actually, uh, I've, I've interviewed hundreds, now probably thousands, and done thousands of people where I've done vocational profiles. Uh, I've done it for maybe 30 years, and it's on the side. I, I don't do it full-time, but there are times where I've done it with every group of the Falls Church Fellows, an intern group that come through, all of the C.S. Lewis Fellows, uh, another group that I work with, and uh, so I've, I've seen it with other people. I think what happens is, like in early life, you kind of get to know some of the gifts you have, but it kind of emerges over time, and I think that's happened with me. I think uh, I kind of knew some of the things I was interested in pursuing, but I, I came to some major crossroads, and I didn't know which way to go. Like, for instance, uh, I was accepted into medical school, law school, and seminary the same year. And I didn't know what to do. and But I ended up picking seminary. Not that that was necessarily the right choice for everybody, but it's the, it was the right choice for me. I did find that area where I was really gifted and called and excelled in ways that I'd never excelled before. So it was a matter of, on the one hand, you pursue a direction, on the other hand, the Lord guides your steps and really leads you along the way. And I think as I've grown up further, I've come to see more and more and be able to state in concise words what that is. But it took me a while to get there. Like at one point, uh, I would say that it would be to develop disciples that can articulate, defend, and live faith in Christ through personal and public life. That would be a statement that would be what I would try to do. Now, I'd say it's even further than that, on top of that, is to impact key leaders, cities, ministries, and networks to help facilitate spiritual renewal and transformation. So that behind the more general calling to be faithful to the Lord in all areas of life, something has emerged that I I now have a sort of laser focus, a beam out there that helps me to decide what to do and what not to do. Because I know where my gifts are and and where best to use my time. But but that emerges over time. Sometimes you don't know right at the beginning. But the more clarity you can get earlier on, the better off you are sooner sooner rather than later. I think more settled, the more settled you can be. How did God align the calling out on your life with the bride that he brought into your life? How how are your (laughs) your calling and your wife's calling, how are they aligned? Tremendously. I think uh, we both got married. I was older, and she was older, too, when we got married. So we had... Be careful, you don't want to get in trouble. You should never tell your, say that your wife was older. <laughs> she, she was a lot younger than me. <laughs> but, that was, but, uh, but we'd had, you know, some extensive ministry and travel and that sort of thing when we got together. So I think when we came together, we're incredibly effective together in ministry. Uh, and she often travels with me when I when I go places. Like we just got back from a few days in Panama, ministering to some leaders from the Baptist Church in South America. But I think that what drew us together, particularly, uh, I wanted to have something like a Labrie, where you had with Francis Schaeffer's retreat center right. that would be able to draw people in and do that kind of discipleship and 
worldview and that kind of thing. She wanted to have a hospitality house where she did some of the same thing with prayer and and with ministry to people and mentoring. And, and so we really came together, and our house has actually become that in terms of we have many people come through and stay with us at different points. Like we, we counted one year, we had 300 nights, we had people stay over out of 365 oh, days from 35 countries, every continent. That's amazing. And that, and that doesn't count pre- people for breakfast, lunch, dinner, coffee, tea. Or your, or your son's often, guests, often, I suppose. It's often a revolving door of people coming in and out from many different nations. Like we have a guy from Uganda coming in tonight for 10 days. We don't even really know. It's just a friend of a friend. We have another, had another woman from Guatemala stayed with us for a couple of weeks. She just left. And another woman from uh, South Carolina that's staying with us for a few days. We have hosting today a Supreme Court justice from one of the states and his wife. Yeah. Uh, Quite a privilege. We're we're talking today with Dr. Art Lindsley. He's with the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics, and they just released some new high school homeschool courses, and one of them is on understanding God's calling. And and, and Art, as you just were to explain, it was amazing that God, long before you met your bride, he had been aligning your callings so that you could work alongside each other. Let's just step back as you were writing this curriculum, Understanding God's Calling, a high school homeschool elective course. And I keep saying it because I want people to understand, I'm sure we got homeschool parents listening today. This is one you should check out because if there's the biggest gift you could ever give your kids is to help them understand the calling that God has on their lives. Did As you were writing it, because it's quite extensive, it's quite a few pages, I mean, it's hundreds of pages, did you, did well, you have it's, high school... It's, it's 17 different lessons, and I probably have like, maybe eight or 900 or 1,000-word introduction. Then we have different uh, exercises that you can do and readings that you can do along with it, and it's 17 different lessons. But it lays a biblical theological ground for calling, Calling is really the overarching idea of being faithful to God in terms of your relationship with Him, in relationship to your family, and if you're married, and uh, in your marriage, uh, in uh, as a citizen in the church, and in your work. But calling is not just limited to or equated with work. It, it's really being able to be faithful to God in all these areas. And we try to address the whole context so you can see your future job if you're a high school, uh, in within that larger context of who God has call, called you and created you to be. So, did you get to test drive this on on high school kids as you were developing? Did you get did you get input from them? Maybe more mature kids that, that I mean, how did you how did you come up with this to make sure that it was going to be applicable to this next generation, which we don't even have a name for yet the the kids that aren't millennials anymore. Now they're seventeen or under, and and, and we don't even have a name for that generation yet. How did you test drive this to make sure that they would get it yeah. when they got to the final page? Well, we we tested it with a lot of first of all. Uh, homeschool uh, parents uh, that looked it out and critiqued it begin in the beginning way. And then we tried it with some students that went through it and really looked at it and gave us feedback on it. Uh, and we had a number of homeschool uh, association people uh, that really looked at it and tried to give their input on it. So, uh, you know, we had a, a number of different levels of testing before we uh, have done it. But a lot of it will be uh, uh, people that 
actually do the course, uh, a whole bunch of people, and continue to give us input uh, on it. But it has been tested, and we've run it by a lot of different people and ha- gotten their input and incorporated it into the final course. Well, it had to have been a lot of fun putting it together, because you're, I'm sure while you are writing, you were thinking, boy, I wish I had something like this when I was 17. Boy, I wish I had something like this when I was in high school. Because when I looked at the just the outline, I'm thinking, wow, if somebody could have given me something like this, I might have made a few right turns during instead of some left turns that, that kind of kept me got me off track and I had to go back on track again if I understood the true calling on my life. Yeah. Art, last question for you today. Why is it so important that our kids, like your boys, you said they're 21 and 23. Is that, did I have that right? 21, 23? Yep. Okay. So why is it so important that before they get out into the world, that before they get off to college, why is it so important that they understanding understand the calling that God has placed on their lives? Well, I, I know with our kids, we brought them up, uh, you know, and have had them really learn the scriptures and, you know, try to influence them along the way. We had many different places that we, uh, and many different people that did it. But I, I also spent time with them each trying to uh, deal with their whole vocational direction, because I think it's important that they understand not only in general the kind of people they're to be as believers, but what God has called them to do and to be. Uh, I think that kids need a deep sense of purpose and calling that can help them withstand the pressures of life that they're going to get later on uh, in college and then post-college uh, after that. And I, I think, especially when you look at the Barna polls, uh, that sort of grounding is really important. Uh, it would uh, 75% of college kids, it said, walk away from the faith. Yeah, and so, that's been an area of passion for me to really do something about that. Uh, and I, I think I, I think I you have. I ran a week-long seminar one time at a camp in order to address these kinds of issues. And this curriculum, I think, also helps ground people more deeply in who they are and, and, and gives them a larger context for their lives. All right, why don't you tell people where they can get this curriculum? Uh, Tifwe.org is the basic website. And then it's also, as you point, tifwe.org slash homeschool. All right. Art Lindsley with the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics. Understanding God's calling. Get this for your family, even if you're not homeschooling. Art, thanks so much for being on I Work For Him today. Really appreciate you. Great to be with you. As we come to the end of another I Work For Him show, thanks for listening today, for tuning in. Thanks so much to Ace Andrews. Look at him. Drinking Mountain Dew today. I have been such a powerful influence in his life. He's pounding a Mountain Dew today during the show. Fantastic. Hey, take some time tonight. Go out to IWorkForHim.com. IWorkTheNumberForHim.com. And check out the I Work For Him Nation, the flag that pops up when you go out there. And also at the bottom of the first page, all of the ministries and businesses that are sponsoring I Work For Him. We are on the verge of creating the I Work For Him nonprofit organization so that if you are really being blessed by this ministry, you've got a chance to contribute to what's going on here on the air. Love for you to be part of the ministry that's going on. We are touching, it's not me, it's all about God. We're touching lives all across the world. It's amazing. Go out to iworkforhim.com. Thank the show sponsors. They are making a difference every day. Remember, there's an epic battle for the souls of our coworkers and employees out there every day in our workplace. What are you doing to get equipped? You and me need to work hard at equipping ourselves to fight the battle because the people we work with, God loves them just as much as he loves us and he wants to see them be part of the kingdom too. 
You've been listening to the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. I own my own business, but ultimately, ultimately, I work for him. Mm-hmm.